just, stable, and sustainable world for all life. It's the future that 2020 reminded us we really need. While it can be hard to imagine the huge shifts it will take to get there, one thing remains certain, how essential we are to each other. People to people, people to nature, nature to everything. What Are You Doing Here? is a podcast by the Emerging World Project, where voices for and about our Earth and all of her inhabitants come to you with stories from across the globe. Stories that remind us that we can achieve incredible things, but it starts with each of us acknowledging that we are part of something greater than ourselves. I am your host, Addison Brown. And I am your co-host, Marley Alabanza. People to people, people to nature, nature to everything. Indeed, these connections are the bedrock of our existence. When nature thrives, people thrive. But even when we acknowledge this truth on a planetary scale, it's easy to lose sight of what that means to individual communities and individual people. People and nature find ways to thrive together. Let's not forget what that looks like. Our guest today is Irfan Farizi from Dubai. He is 17 years old, a conservationist, educator, and researcher. Irfan is currently studying at the Westminster School in Dubai. He has always loved the natural world, and so he has started researching scientifically the animals and plants in his region. He is inspired by David Attenborough, and till this day sees David as a great role model. Irfan's vision is to revolutionize how people learn and interact with the natural world, while inspiring the conservation of our planet for current and future generations. Through his website, The Wildlife Focus, Irfan provides information and face-to-face understanding of our planet's biodiversity and natural world. His unique understanding of the natural world informs his storytelling through short documentaries. Now more than ever, it is important to shine light on some of the most amazing and at-risk species on the planet, and how we can all be better advocates for our environment and its inhabitants. Please join us in welcoming our guest, Irfan. Well, let me say thank you for taking the time and coming to talk to us. We are really looking forward to this conversation with you. You're absolutely one of my favorite human beings on the planet at the moment. Do you know that? Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so great. So here you are. Um, let's get to talking. Um, so, you know, the way we start this, this show always is, is asking you, um, when do you think you first recognized your relationship to the natural world? Um, well, I believe that, um, I had the love of the natural world and animals since the very beginning, because, uh, unlike, when I look at my own brother, for example, when I look at the, the different people, I think 
rather than having toys of cars for example my toys are all these animals elephants and uh, and mm. the pets that i have so uh, but i think the first time i noticed this was the time when i uh, saw this iranian tortoise crossing the road and um, well i was with my grandfather back then so my grandfather was like hey, let's let's stop next to the road so we stopped and we got down got the tortoise and we just went somewhere and released it and later to this day when i just was writing my own book i came to find out that right now that that tortoise is very very rare that hardly you can see it in, in if even look at the most untouched wildernesses there so it's so it's really really rare so i guess the main love started from there that's fascinating how old were you do you I'm remember very, well i believe i was six or seven somewhere between that so do you still have this would be great do you still have what you wrote well i'm i'm still working on the book due to the fact of exams and and, and such i couldn't continue it but there are there are eight chapters so it's basically about uh, because right now we are seeing all these damages happening to the natural world and um if we look at it we are seeing drastic changes means for those who believe in the change if you believe on climate change you would obviously see that well this year for example in the united arab emirates the the weather was warm and there was no rain at all and uh, well but then in in this book of mine um what i'm focusing on is not about only climate change but it's twin problem it's it's the problem that is very silent but it's exactly the twin of um climate change biodiversity loss so i'm going to say well within the years that i've been active and all, till the end when i write this book um how much life has changed how much the natural world has changed because of course nat- nature has changed drastically within the past 60 years but then the most drastic impact was seen just 10 years or or, or 14 years back when there was a sudden change in biodiversity mm. so i'm guessing that that experience with the tortoise it has really informed the way you live in the world do you think that that is the first experience or that that has informed you or or has that been the way you've been guided well well i believe that um when i was there on that time i just saw the tortoise as an as an animal and and as nothing else because uh, i didn't have much of an idea on what the species of tortoise was and i had no idea that i would get to a level in which i would right now just only think of it as a memory i can recall it's just like a un, un you know unexisting sort of film that that i can keep on recalling and um to, to be honest when i first started loving animals when i started creating my first videos i wouldn't i i never thought that okay i would reach to a stage where i have to just speak about let's take action let's take action plastic pollution mm. climate change i thought it would be just the natural world and it's it's just amazing it's and i think the factor that made me level say the conservation all these things the thing that pushed me well oh well the, the biodiversity coming down is the impact i saw particularly in dubai because um it was it was a time when i started my research and the back then there was this beach near to my house called mamza beach and um it used to be i can say my second home so whenever i got chance i would just ask my father to take me there and um i can remember so vividly that back then there was these 
huge shoals of baby juvenile crescent grunters with this species of fish. But now when you go there, and it's, it's pretty drastic, when you go there, you don't see, you hardly see anyone at all. Like, I remember very vividly that I used to go there with my father, and I used to just fling the water with my hand, and there used to be 10 or 15 coming out of the water, and I used to collect them and put them in a, in a, in a cup or a, or a bag of water. But then now you don't even see one. So, it's, so that's what made me want to take action. Right. So you, you actually had the experience of the abundance and the, the, let's say, the diversity of wildlife. And then you saw less and less of that in this very short 17 years that you've been on the planet. So that changed your, your um, let's say, focus. So you're doing research, but now you're combining pure research with now looking at how the climate is changing so drastically. Would you say that you have um, somebody in your life, like uh, perhaps your father or somebody else that is um, influential in the work that you're doing? Well, I believe that that, that's a question that is, of course, very easy for me to answer because uh, I don't think of it at all. And... um, I think if you have seen my videos or my work, you would just resemble it kind of of Sir David Attenborough. So he was the one who made me influence me to well, just go and explore the natural world, make all these documentary films, and um, <laughs> speak about wildlife. So I think it was the main influence wo- was Sir David, and uh, well after that it was I think my my grandfather and my uncle who who mainly was my my grandfather of course is a very fond of plants, so he's very expert in plants and all these things. While my while my uncle is always um, in, in mountains and exploring wildlife, although he's not, his job is not that much related to it. So I believe at the first, and still till today, I think it's Sir David who has got a huge influence on me in a great scale. That's pretty fantastic. That, that's a couple generations that Sir David is um, inspiring and influencing because uh, he's quite an influence in my world as well. So do you, did you have any um, spiritual or religious background uh, growing up? And if you have, has that played a role in the work, uh, especially in conservation and education? Well, well I, the main thing that I can, I can speak about is that it, it was not many, let's say, a religion that brought me in conservation, but the fact that when I was reading, if, if you see, for example, my Instagram profile, you would see me reading a book. And um, most people think that it's a, it's a Bible, or, or let's say it's a, it's, a, it's a simple book, but it's actually a book of Charles Darwin, Origin of Species. And going through that book, well, um, it, it made me realize, well, Charles Darwin had gone to all these different, different places. And apart from finding out natural selection, uh, impact on different species and evolution, he found that species, no matter how far they live, are co-independent with each other. So the main factor of conservation, I saw, well, let's say animals are de- de- declining at a drastic rate. And uh, when I said, well, well, look at what Charles Darwin has written. He has written that every species, mm. no matter how remote, is connected with each other in the web of life. So that was the main thing which made me want to take action because we are indeed ourselves um, in this web of life. We don't have any particular role in it, apart from damaging it, but if the web of life is damaged, then we are impacted directly by it. Right, exactly. 
Uh, which brings me to, um, I might be skipping around here a little bit, but I want to come back to that, um, uh, where you see we are in the web of life, whether you view it as a uh, as if we're on top of it or are we within it. So I think that um, we both understand that the the loss of biodiversity um, and the extinction of many, many species, that we ourselves could go extinct and the planet would be just fine. So knowing or would return to her natural balance. So knowing that, I wonder if you question whether um, humans have a natural balance to return to would um, prevent themselves from going extinct. Well, I can tell that if humans go extinct, um, the natural world will for surely be the happiest happiest of all its time. <laughs> because, I don't mean uh, to laugh, but... Yeah, it, it is actually funny because we think, think that, okay, well, when we think that, okay, we are determining the survival of the natural world. But the fact is that every single day we are, de de we are dependent on the natural world for our survival. So it's pretty um, extraordinary. And it's pretty funny that if nature doesn't go on the right path, we don't as well. So I, the, the thing is that there is evidence all around us that no matter how grave our mistakes, nature would, uh, at the end of the day, overcome them. And one of such examples was the explosion of Chernobyl. And it was just 30 years back, 30 or so years back. And, and this, despite human being completely evacuated from there, and it was a huge impact of, of nuclear radiation and nuclear explosion, but now that the, the, the forest has taken over the city and there are some species there that, that are simply found nowhere else. Um, they're, they're pretty rare to find. And th this is one example. And the second one is we talk about sustainability and again sustainability or like living in balance with nature, rewilding our planet. But when we just sit for a second and think about it, it's, it's just imaginable as a journey. Just just. Just as, you know, hunter-gatherers, we lived uh, purely sustainable lives because that was the only option. And so many years later, although we are not still hunter-gatherers, but we are so civilized and so uh, technologically advanced, we are still dependent on that um, sustainable life because we are dependent on the natural world's survival and health. The fact that is really shocking is that when most of us, even despite the amount of advancement in information and advancement in technology we have got, we are still not, um, when I'm talking about most of us, it means a huge, huge majority of us are still saying, okay, if I'm living in a civilized city, if I'm living far away mm. from the nearest wilderness, it means I have no connection with wildlife. But in that, absolutely wrong, because um, we have seen as we have, we have seen many extinction crises happening. And um, it's, it's all correlated, because we see that so far away, many kilometers away, the Arctic is now losing its ice. But then we in the UA are being impacted. Now, people don't believe because, well, we don't see much of a wildlife um, these days because where they are only found in a very small uh, area of um, land in the city or they simply don't come in contact with human beings because, um, in, because like most of us, like except a part of me and someone who's interested in nature, who will just go in the middle of the night to look for insects, for example. So... So we think that we are far away from the natural world, but then that's not true at all because we are co-independent in very drastic ways with it. And and recently, um, 
I was planning to make a documentary about plastic pollution because what has happened is those fishes caught in the sea many miles away seems to have microplastic in them and now that we are feeding on them we are having we are we are, we are ingesting those plastic in ourselves so they said uh, um, the, the scientists have found microplastic in the placenta of a baby and they are found in it so it's pretty drastic you can say that the co-independency is so vast but then again there is hope Having said that, what would what do you think? And I understand that that your hope um, is probably driven by the fact that you are out there and you're documenting these, and you have a very clear understanding about the interconnectivity of all of life. But what do you think? Um, and then we can talk about your your website because it has quite a lot of um, really wonderful and beautiful information. What do you think? on a, um, I'm going to say a small scale, scale because we uh, at Emerging World Project, we really believe that engaged direct action is what is going to change a person. So although we may mm, set out for, you know, big ambitious projects that will reach the uh, stories, that will reach the minds of millions, we also make sure that these conversations with one person are as um impactful as possible. So what do you think um, will cause the people in your immediate environment and then a little bit further out from that to actually take a deeper look and make personal changes in their life? Now that, that's a very, very important question and is a one which, 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 is having a, which has a very simple answer because, well, all the documentaries and podcasts and all these things I do has one main objective. And it, is, it comes from my belief that I believe that until people don't understand the importance and how the natural world works, they will never pay time or money or even care about it. So um, it, it is pretty important that well, if, if people understand how their web of life, how their dependency of life uh, grows around them, they will immediately take action. Because, well, uh, most of us... Um, don't really want to approach to the scientific point of our education point of view of nature so they try to avoid uh, reading articles and all these things but then uh, if they understood where there is there is microplastic right now within us they will start taking action on plastic if they understood that well um, how much time is left to save the planet they would take action so the main thing is awareness like the simplest they say small changes significant impact so the smallest change is awareness because once people are aware, then only we can give them the action plan, what to do and what not to do to save the planet. So uh, I'm going to come back to some of the details that are on the Wildlife Focus website, but I want to ask you about this, what, I, uh, uh, what we've been talking about is a sort of period of transition. So we're recognizing a lot of mistakes that we've made, and now we're in a phase of uh, the challenge to correct those mistakes, uh, reevaluate our values, and from a wildlife perspective, as we move away from zoos and aquariums and other forms of ways that people can be up close to animals that are not from, let's say, their region of the world, what do you think are some other ways in which humans can safely and compassionately experience wildlife? Um, and I just want to follow that with because. Every person I know that I 
talk to or I'm in the presence of loves animals, some kind of animal. There's some relationship there. So we're not going to not want to be around them. So again, what do you think are some other ways in which humans can safely and compassionately experience wildlife beyond captivity? Now, um, the, the first thing is about the na nature's uh, love, as you said, people love, of course, love animals. But when you ask some person, they would say, oh, well, I don't love insects. They are so, um, <laughs> so disgusting. But then if we, if we look at it, if that, that very same person at some point of time, 100% mm -hmm. will say, oh, I'm so tired. I wish I had a, I had a mansion in the middle of the forest and uh, could, could sit there for a month. So the person if herself or himself loves the presence of insects because forests are a place of insects. And uh, so you can say all of us love the natural world. And talking about zoos and aquariums in general, um, I am myself, I'm not a very big fan of zoos. Um, because talking to two, three experts, they um, mentioned that when people go, go to zoos and they, they see this huge abundance of animals, penguins or lions, and they think that it's the same same way um, beyond the zoo, uh, in, the, in the wilderness. Because um, zoos only mention the general information about the animal, whether it's endangered or something, and, and a general knowledge. It don't, they don't say, well, this, this animal is this much in numbers. Its native habitat is this. These are the ways that we can save it. These are the problems that it faces. So a zoo just mm. gives a general knowledge. And as, as, as we can say that if at some point of time as, a zoo is, um, let's say, um, uh, some technical error happens and the animals escape, it's going to be an invasive species. The same goes for aquariums as well, because we're just catching the animals from a native uh, habitat and bringing them to a non-native environment where they may not enjoy the uh, presence with other species. Talking about the best place to um, get close with the wilderness is I think the best that I can keep in mind and, and I can vividly remember from my own experiences is museums, natural history museums. Because uh, I myself have got over 177 specimens and um, at some point of time I used to give it to my school and there's these year, grade one and two students, um, sorry, teachers who borrowed these specimens to teach them about um, animals to the, to, to the class. And you could not, not, not do the same if you go to a zoo. You could not, not get that close to, let's say, a, a bird specimen, a pheasant, or indeed an insect, because it will be behind glass. And, and, and in, let's say, when I went to a museum myself, you could never, of course, go and stand next to an ostrich and see how tall it is, because the, the snowshoe will just give you a kick. But in a museum, that's all possible. You can, you can simply touch the animals and, 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 and feel it. You can get up close in a way that you cannot get in, in, a, in a zoo or an aquarium. So it's pretty extraordinary. I love that. That is that is remarkable. That is remarkable. Um, what do you feel about um, technology? Let's say a virtual reality. Uh, let's say a zoo that's done via virtual reality as a way to mm, learn about or educate young people about, let's say, whales or some of the larger species? Um, well, I myself, I'm not a big fan of, of virtual uh, realities and, and technologies as much to especially explore the natural world. But then again, 
as I mentioned regarding museums, uh, I forgot to mention that they also give a huge information about how many how many animals are left uh, of the species mm-hmm. or like if they are. So there is a huge information given about the species. But again, about virtual reality um, is that that close proper encounter with the natural world is lost. So the, let's say um, the African elephant elephant may go extinct, but you could still view it in the virtual reality. So what's the use of it? Well, you can see it with mm. your own eyes and just go and pet it and touch it. Virtual reality is a, is a good way of, for example, getting uh, people closer to wildlife, especially if there are people who are uh, fearful of, let's say, arachnophobia, insectophobia or such. But then they still won't, um, um, they, they won't meet that proper uh, exploration, that proper curiosity and adventurous feeling in every person's life, a, ch- a child's life, for example. So. I think if there is a choice between going out and exploring the wilderness than virtual reality, I would 100% say that it's better to go out and enjoy because it's not only fresh air and it only not only changes the mood, but it's also a realistic feeling. You are listening to What Are You Doing Here? And today our guest is Erfan. We will be back in just a moment. So are you comfortable with the idea of breeding within the zoo so they're they're born into captivity so they'll never um, return to their natural habitat but then we've made them available for us us being humans for what reason? Well I think that um, that wouldn't be much of a big idea because uh, in their natural environments it is where these particular animals play the most part and those uh, small ecosystems lead to the whole bio bio uh, bio biosphere that we, in which we live so if they can be bred in captivity and released back into the wild that will that back into the native habitat that will be creating a huge impact because we don't want to see huge population in zoos but we want to be able mm-hmm. to have eco-friendly tools um, to their natural habitat and see the animals going about their business and their day-to-day lives in their natural habitats. Because zoos won't show this. Zoos won't show right. the dependency of different animals with each other. Right. Um, can you talk about um, rewilding um, and what that means? Well, uh, as I mentioned, that my main focus uh, of spreading awareness is about biodiversity loss. Because it's... Because um, if we reverse biodiversity loss, that's the way that in which we can rewild and we can we can uh, restabilize the planet. The, uh, because if if you look at it, at the point where the Holocene um, was there, now we are of course in a new age called the Anthropocene, the age of humans. When we were in the Holocene, we found out that the uh, the diversity of life on Earth led to the stability of Earth. So. Now that we have reduced the biodiversity, we are destabilizing our planet. So to come back to the point where our planet is stable once again, we must rewild the planet. And the term rewilding means um, um, bringing back the, the wild where they existed before. For example, in the parts of the oceans where corals used to exist but now are gone. 
doing different projects in which we can bring animals within our cities. And we can do that. There are already majority of creatures that are within, within our cities. But then we must give them a chance to, you know, hop in numbers, increase in numbers. And that can be done in many different ways. So rewilding is in terms of bringing back the wild, bringing back the majority of wild wilderness in the cities. The forests we have cleared because forests take a very, of course, nature has an extreme power of regeneration. But we must give it a chance. And that chance itself is rewilding because, for example, in forests, we are, we are, we are stopping to cut down trees. And, and the trees are going to regenerate. And all these animals that once with, lived within them, if not extinct, will again, uh, you know, like uh, uh, repopulate those areas. And of course, that involves so many different elements, right? So it's not just the animals. We're talking about trees and, and species of plants and uh, healthy soil, right? Um, what do you think uh, people, just the you know, average day-to-day person could do that would be impactful there are many ways that a person can take action, and uh, it, it, everything starts from your own house. So there was recently I spoke about compost. So compost in one is one way because from all the global food waste, around twenty-five to fifty percent is organic waste, which can be turned to compost. Mm-hmm. Second thing would be that, for example, um, for a person whose job is not that much of a car sort of traveling. Uh, they can use public transport because you can fit 30 people in a single bus, but those 30 people would need 30 separate cars, so 30 times the more pollution of the air, for example. And an average person can go and explore the wild, take their children to the um, wilderness, have them, you know, like learn about nature because that in, in return will make them understand the importance of it. They can participate in uh, local um, cleanup campaigns, cleaning up the oceans. So there's a lot to be done. And the smallest step is, of course, learning about the, the wilderness and, and getting in contact safely with them. Um, not to, of course, catch an animal and bring it home so it dies, but witnessing the, the, the way it, 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 it works and the way it uh, impacts the ecosystem from a safe distance. So first, of course, awareness. Then is, is action. There are many ways to take action. One is uh, reducing food waste, uh, reducing the amount of vehicle we use, planting trees, so there is a lot which we can do. And the main thing is right. that the main uh, step is avoiding waste, waste of all types, because waste is simply bad. On your website, there's a quite a lot of wonderful ways to learn different things. Did you have some uh, plan about how you would uh, set up your your space to bring this awareness did you feel like it was important for people to see um, you out in caves looking for spiders um, as a way to learn as well as taking courses Um, I I, I adore and admire your website in so many ways so I'm curious to what your creative process was in setting that up and I noticed you set it up with your best friend is your co-founder, and I love that too. Oh well, yes, I made it with my, my with my friend, and um, the main idea was well. Again, no one thought that COVID nineteen would suddenly uh, kick up. So um, before that, it usually used to be me and the me and the animals and in the field and, and awareness. I used to take these 
um, my specimens, all of them of which was in this corner, I used to take them to classes and teach them about wildlife. So the people used to get, um, a, get, get the feeling of being in the wilderness, touching these birds and touching, seeing the insects. But now suddenly the COVID-19 came in. So I'm like, then, then what to do? People are going to lose the, their, their connection with nature in a very dramatic way. So I went and brought all these specimens back home and started my own online sessions, uh, nature talks, uh, for example. And um, it was it was dramatic that to this day you may not believe it, but then I'm getting emails and messages from because some of them was my own teachers who participated, and they are saying, "Well, my children have loved your session. When are you going to have a next one?" And always at the end of the sessions, there was this motivating. Uh, let's say if we we're talking about climate change, there was a species being mostly impacted by climate change, like polar bears. So the, ch- so the children had around 20 minutes to sit and draw that step-by-step polar bear, for example. And to this day, they say, well, my son is still drawing and he has not stopped. So, so that, that is one impact which we, 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 we said. But then we said, well, no, that's over. We, we, I don't have a time to make such programs as much. So we moved on to making the website. And uh, the, uh, the uh, initial name of the YouTube was Growing Up Wild because... Uh, we thought, okay, we'll, we'll, we, all of us, all the children have to be, have to grow up wild to, to understand how the wilderness feels like. But once we're going to make the website and we look for the um, name, the domain, we saw that it's not available. So we went to the wildlife focus because our, our, our focus is really on wildlife. Right. But once we came in, um, we, I had a help from one of my father's colleagues helping us to make the website. And still, it isn't complete. The website is not complete at all because um, there are some there, there are some technical errors which we which we reached to, and there is some time uh, problems that also we reached. But then the main thing is, as you saw in the website, there are there are news about what I'm doing or what has been going on since, and and I believe that it inspires because people who see people meaning my friends or my family members when they see what I do, they will try to see why I do it. And they'll understand that, okay, this is the impact, and they will in return uh, do it themselves. And uh, I've got a tab called Nature Talks. So over there, people can listen to experts speak about the work they do and the impact of climate change and how we can take action. So that was the main thing. And I love, I love that you encouraged children to draw, um, and, and that has a, a really direct um impact for that child personally I love that which brings me to storytelling because I know that you're a storyteller um, do you believe or how do you feel uh, is the best way to translate stories um, I believe if, if we are talking about the contents of um, climate change or the impacts I think rather than making the person cry from when they see the documentary, for example, when they hear to us, brilliant. It's rather to just go step by step. Where, for example, the same the same impact David Attenborough has, for example, we show that in this part of the world, this animal exists, and it's going about uh, on its business, for example, like um, and and then we we speak about the importance of this animal, um, a, a sort of story. Let's say it can be a, a mating season. The animal is just getting ready for. Uh, the female to arrive, or, or indeed it can be a point of time when a predator is there and the animals are not noticing it. And then when we finish up with that, I believe that we can say the dangers the uh, animals facing from a human perspective, and later, um, what can we do to save the planet? 
because every single thing in our lives um, thrives around storytelling. Every single thing, because story is something which makes people interested. It makes people to have an impact because under every page of a story there is a moral which 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 is really important, and it right. it, it, it can create huge impacts. The blue, plan, uh, the blue planet of Sir David, for example, created created huge impact of awareness about plastic pollution, and it was first about the life in the oceans and the um, and the marvelous life that existed there, and it's it slowly moved on to plastic pollution, and its impact and how we can do to save it. Do you think about, uh, and I think those are very important elements in in storytelling as well, um, and we've always been as a species, we've always been story telling stories visually and verbally. Do you um, feel that a collaboration um, in these endeavors from your uh, end is important, and do you have any intention of, of doing that? So for instance, uh, it, it, right now um, in Africa, um, there's a firm belief, and I'm in this firm belief too, that Africans telling their stories is what is most important from the African perspective. Then the next step, I think, is a collaboration so that we can break this down to these are humans telling stories, right? So we can sort of, sort of dissolve that line between... Um, continents and you know imaginary boundaries but these are humans this is something that is a this is a human crisis that we are facing do you plan on collaborating do you feel that way or do you feel that you're already communicating in a way that is um, global and without boundaries well, well well of course collaborating is a very important thing and I'm I've, I've always been open to any collaborations because in collaboration, what happens is I may have a story to say, but then let's say I'm living in the United Arab Emirates and I've only been to four or five different countries or different cities. But then um, they, I've, I've, I could only hear, I could only say facts about Africa, what's happening to the rhinos. But then there could be people who are, are with the rhinos and they can say a whole different story because, again, storytelling, what happens is, for example, just 50 years ago, we were driving the whales towards extinction. And what happened at that point was a story was made and a story needs to be made in which it has got as much as emotions and feelings that it, as it can have inside it. Because they, they just kept a mic in the water and they heard the whales and each whale that was in the starting, you know, um, thought of it just uh, oil and meat was transformed into different personalities, different characteristics. So the whales got their own identities. The same is in this way. I, I, I believe that due to the, uh, due to the um, we can say, the difficulty in communication and difficulty of finding people, I'm not that much collaborating with people across the globe. I mean, not a global scale. But then as much as I can, I'm, I'm trying to collaborate with many different people. And um, I think that that's the smallest step which I can take. Like, it's pretty extraordinary. I wrote a letter, for example, to say, David, and I'm like, well, People want me to become a doctor, but then I want to work with the natural world. So what's your perspective on this? And I received a reply where he said, well, due to the fact that nature is all around us, um, I cannot advise you as a career. But then he clearly mentioned that there was a very bold message in that. 
a reason where you must not be it must not be a part of your career to take action about the natural world but it needs to be in your heart deep inside mm-hmm. so i believe that i if at some point of time i am uh, collaborating with people around the world but then um, at some point i'm not uh, because there simply isn't the chance to do so it's really wonderful talking to you and and i appreciate your your depth of of knowledge but also your love and your passion um and speaking about emotions which is not something um we humans do too much when it comes to these crises we want to problem solve from our intellect but um i think you really feel that the emotions are a gateway to a lot of uh solutions um and understanding um how to come to those solutions and i appreciate that greatly I'm going to ask you a couple of um, fun questions as we wrap up our conversation. But uh, before I do that, I would love to allow you to um, perhaps share anything that I may not have um, asked you about. No, I think uh, when you when you spoke about emotions, um, well, I can tell when it comes to the natural world, there is a lot of emotion that I have regarding the same. A few weeks, uh, sorry, a few days back, uh the just day before yesterday i had uh, got finally the chance to go and explore the um the areas and environments around my house because i had recently shifted and there was all these exams coming up and then um i saw that there is this extraordinary cacti different species back there and um cacti are pretty extraordinary because they only flower once a year if conditions are right and on that first day i actually trip over the cactus uh, and um one leg touched the cactus and it kicked the cactus on the other leg and i couldn't walk properly at all and i still somehow limped but then it's pretty much um okay if you can say but then um, i couldn't walk properly at all each time i i stepped on the, on the ground it was like someone is just putting an iron nail back back into my leg so but but still uh yesterday and every yesterday i went two times again to see the cacti and i i i got on film their flowering and i got to preserve some of their flowers as well and one question that I was asked is that well your love for the natural world is huge um but then you're doing a damage to yourself i'm like this will heal anyway i don't need to go to a doctor they're like are you sure i'm like yes i'm 100% sure so and this was not a question i've been asked for the first time when i for the first time took uh, my sea urchin specimens to the um to to year 7 class they all said because that time also i was somehow um limping as well because uh, apart from this i was doing karate as well but that wasn't because of karate but it was <laughs> because of sea urchins because i went there dive there and i <laughs> and i had my legs full of spines so they said why aren't you afraid like you are not afraid of going and catching these animals i said because we depend on them and getting getting um, we can say bitten or getting getting spined by them is better than just having being able to cry to see them go extinct so i think that's much better so that's one thing <laughs> oh that's wonderful i agree i agree i would rather heal from a wound than cry from knowing they've gone extinct plants and all i think that's uh, another another conversation is to talk about the relationship that we have with with plants um I love that story. Thank you for sharing that story. Okay, so here's a little bit of fun for you. Um, if you had one billboard for all the world to see, what would it say? Um it would 
pretty much say that um, well we must two things we are a part of nature not apart from it and the fact is that we are all responsible for healing the planet so that would be the main context that we will say and the other thing which we would say on the other corner would be that the, the, the animals <laughs> that the species that we have drive extinct due to um, the fact of poaching or whatever it is and there are already around 20 of the animals that we have uh, tried through extinction ourselves one is the Tasmanian tiger the um, passenger pigeon they recently 2020 2019 or 20 Chinese paddlefish so so there is there is 17 or so species that have gone extinct so that will be mainly uh, will understand what we are doing to the planet and and let's see how we can save it okay we're gonna try and make that billboard for you you can help us too oh well, sure, of okay course. And the, uh, but this time we'll be able to see your face it will it will be video as well uh, that will be wonderful Okay, it has been extraordinary speaking with you um, again, um, and I, I just—it's just been extraordinary. I've, I've, I've learned so much, and I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed your stories. And again, your depth of knowledge is just is absolutely wonderful. And thank you for taking all of the time and spending your good portion of your life force to uh, bring this type of awareness that is so very important and so very needed to the forefront. Um, I think that our audience is going to appreciate your perspective. So I send you all of my love and safety and adventure and courage, which you lack none of. And promise me you'll come back um, and talk to us and I will be watching you and you'll see a billboard soon with what you said on it after I listened to the replay. It was great talking to you today and uh, love the work that you do as well. It's, it's, it's amazing. Thank you for stopping by. You can help us spread the word about what are you doing here by sharing this episode or leaving a review in your favorite podcast app. Reviews help potential listeners see that our show is worth their time, and every single one makes a difference. For a deeper look at what the Emerging World Project is up to, head on over to EmergingWorldProject.org. The Emerging World Project studios are on Tongva land.